All right. Uh, please bow your heads with me briefly. Uh, Father God, I, I thank you for the honor of sharing your word. And uh, Father, I just pray that uh, it is a benefit and blessing to the hearers this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, the message today is the agape love of God. Uh, we're going to start First <clears throat> uh, John uh, chapter 4. You know, I think we need, sometimes we need to remind ourselves that we, we need to settle the issue in our hearts, whether or not God loves us. Um, you know, it's not hard to convince ourselves of that uh, when we're doing well and we feel like we've done, uh, we've done something that God could be proud of. And so we feel like we've earned the love of God, uh, uh, as it were. Uh but the danger of that is that when we're not at our best and we feel like we have fallen short of doing uh, what God would have us to do, then uh, we walk in self-condemnation and guilt and then we project onto God something that is not true. Because God's love toward us is uh, not uh, based on performance. He has agape love, or a lot of people could say unconditional love, toward us. All right? Um, I just want to start off uh, in First uh, John chapter 4. There is something said both in verse 8 and verse 16 that I want to start this message off with. And it says in verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love he doesn't just love he is love it goes on and says in verse 16 so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us that's my prayer for us that we come to truly know experientially in an intimate way we come to really know and to believe the love that God has for us and it says again God is love say it with me god is love it says and whoever abides in love abides in god and god abides in him you know well over 200 times in the new testament you hear god's love god talks about love love is important to god not just any kind of love not just what we call love, but God's love, agape love, the, the kind of love that God lavishes on us. And there are a number, there are several Greek words that all have, um, deal with a different aspect of love that are all translated love in the English, in the English language, right? You know, there is eros where it talks about romantic love. Right? There is philia or phileo that talks about friendship and so forth. You know, there is one that, you know, I don't know if it's korg or corge, but it's more familial love. Right? And so, but then there is agape love. And that is the love with which God loves us and that he encourages us to love him and love one another. Are you hearing that? So we're going to focus on 
I'll leave you to your own studies about those other kinds of love. We're just going to focus on the God kind of love uh, today. But uh, it says that God is love. So agape love emanates from God. It comes from him. It's who he is, as it says in 1 John 4, 8. We are to love God and others with agape love. And it is, agape love isn't a feeling, it is an emotion. It has an element of a feeling and affection in it, but it's a choice. It is a commitment. I heard a couple of amens, but, it, but, but, but it is, a, it is a choice. It is a commitment to us that, uh, that God has toward us. It's not one of those Hallmark things. I'm, I'm not, I'm not come, getting at you, sweetheart. I'm not. You know, it's not one of those things where I feel love for you today, but I don't feel love for you tomorrow. It's not one of those things. It is a choice and a commitment, a forever commitment from God that he, he loves you and he is for you. So I wanted to look at that. Agape is a choice, a deliberate striving for someone else's highest good. And it is demonstrated through action. The ultimate agape was God sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. Romans 5 verses 6 through 8 say this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. You know, it's not even common that people would die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So even few would die for a good person. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. Now, I know we've heard this is not a, a, a new verse to a lot of us. But God loved us while we were still in wickedness. He loved us while we were still sinners before we were redeemed. Let's dwell on that. He, while we were still in wickedness. Now, if he would send his son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin as a propitiation for us, to redeem us from sin, that we might be reconciled to him and be with him forever, all right, then surely those of us who are the redeemed, when we fall, that same love exists for us, right? And so, so, so we need to know that same God that loved us when we were living a life of wickedness loves us even when we give in to the flesh. That's not a license to sin, but we need to know that God's love for us is not dependent upon whether or not we are walking righteously in a thing or whether or not we are walking in disobedience. It doesn't mean there won't be consequences. It doesn't mean he won't discipline us. All right? But, but, 
But let's settle the issue of whether or not he loves us. If he didn't love us apart from our behavior, we'd all be lost in our sins right now. Just wanted to say that. Uh, 1 John 3 verse 1 says this. See, I'm going to read it in two different translations. I like it better in the NIV, uh, but I'm an ESV guy. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. If you believe that, that Christ is the only begotten Son of God, that he and only he is the way to salvation, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, you are among the children of God. The love of God is lavished on you. It's not a love we could earn or we could deserve like the song says. We couldn't do this. This love was lavished on us. It was bestowed upon us, right? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Uh, it says it in the NIV version, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We may not feel like the children of God sometimes, but we are depending on what we believe concerning Christ. If you believe in Christ and who he is and what he's done for us, you are a child of God. If I were to look at you sometimes, you may not be walking in that. I may not be able to see it by how you behave in your, in, in your worst moments, but it doesn't change that the fact that you are a child of God. And I just want to, uh, before I go into something, uh, I'm going to address some of the reasons why we struggle to believe that. But 1 John 4 I read verse 8, but I want to read verses 7 to 9, kind of expand that out a little bit. And I'm not even sure if I gave that to you. Don't worry about it, uh, multimedia team. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And again, the love here is agape. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So that means... You know, we ought to be loving in a way that reflects the fact that we know him, that we've been born of him, right? That we are demonstrating his character in the way that we conduct ourselves. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you think about that. You giving, agape love, giving without condition. Giving without expecting to receive. Giving Simply and strictly for the good, uh, 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 for the good of uh, of someone, without expecting anything in return. God demonstrated that love for us 
There's no way we can repay the great sin debt that Jesus paid on our, uh, on our behalf. The only thing that God got him, that God got for that greater price that he paid was our flawed selves. Right? And it, and, and, and it doesn't seem like much, but God's heart toward us is such that that's how precious we are to him. We, we, we don't feel like we're worth much. But what God did in sending his son for us tells, uh, ought to tell us that to him we're priceless. Are you hearing that? You are precious. You are priceless. To, to, to think of ourselves in any other way would be to diminish the price that was paid for us. I just want to encourage you that way. All right? You, you, you're, you're not perfect. You have flaws. Okay? You don't walk in the fullness of what God has for you, but that doesn't change the fact that, that doesn't change the value that you have to God. All right? You are precious to him. And so, and, and that's why he could do what he did for us, really, without requiring any works on our behalf to earn it. It's just a gift out of love. That's the standard of love that God is calling us to. That's the love that emanates from him. Those of us who know him, those of us who have received and tasted of that amazing love, that, that, that those of us that have seen and tasted, we are expected to be able to flow in that and show the love of God uh, uh, unto others. And, you know, it, Scripture is so obvious how much God loves us, but we struggle with that. And, 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 and I have to think about some of the reasons of that. Some of the reasons is that our own life experiences. I, I did not, and I, I'm, talk, I'm talking about me specifically, I did not experience what, would, what could be called the love of God from my father, from my earthly father. I, I did not get that. I grew up into manhood not knowing what that looked like, felt like. Never having experienced that. And because of that, I, that my picture of God as father was based on my life experience. What I didn't get from my father, I thought would be the same thing from God. Why wouldn't I think that? that, that that's what I grew up experiencing. That's what I lived through. That was my life experience. And so my mind had to be renewed and to, to learn what real love was. Because I didn't get that from my earthly father. So God had to become a father to the fatherless in that way. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who has that kind of a story. Our stories may differ in some of the details, but we don't always get the godly picture of a godly father in our life experience as kids growing up. Uh, and, and I don't want to 
you know, I don't want to uh, uh, come off and, and, and God has delivered me for that. So I'm, I, I may have been a victim at one time, but, but I'm not bound to the victim mentality in that way. Um, I didn't receive love that way, but I also didn't give love. I didn't know how to love people. All right? I, I broke hearts. I let people down. I had opportunity to love people. I did not know what agape was, and I was not walking in that for much of my life. I didn't even know what it was or how to do it. So our own human experience will cause us to uh, doubt or be in disbelief about God's unconditional agape love toward us. For various reasons, another is we feel guilty and unworthy. When I, when I felt like God, when I first felt like God was calling me to the ministry, the first thing I thought of was, ooh, no way, the devil is lying to me. The devil wants me to go and, and, and commit to this calling knowing I'll fall on my face and, and I will dishonor God. Because no way. I'm looking at my life. I'm looking at the way I performed up to that point. There is no way God would call this guy to that calling. Right? And so I felt guilty and unworthy. Some might look at that and misconstrue it as humility. But, but it wasn't humility. It was guilty and unworthiness that I felt. Some people don't respond to the don't respond to the call to salvation because they feel guilty and unworthy and don't see themselves as someone worthy enough for God to accept and receive. But what did Romans 5 say? That while we were still sinners, still lost in our wickedness, God loved us. Amen? All right, so are we worthy? Kind of a trick question, I guess. I mean, in a sense that we deserve it because of any merit on our part, no. But to God, are we worthy? Yes. That's why Jesus died for us. The precious blood of Jesus was shed for us. So we need to tell our feelings and our emotions to stop, to stop lying to us. And we need to check those feelings and emotions and bring them to what the word of God says. We need to check them with the truth and pull them into alignment with what God's word says. Okay, uh, that's, that's how we get into that peace and that rest that Brittany was talking about earlier. We're going to have to get, know the truth and let the truth of God, the knowledge of the truth of God set us free from those emotional and mental bondages that are hindering us from receiving the fullness of what God has for us. Um, other reasons it's hard is, <laughs> I just got to say it, uh, legalistic teaching. That makes it seem like there is work we have to do 
before we can deserve something from God. Knowing full well that scripture says that our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. And if we're going to have a works mentality that we've got to do some things to earn, then we put ourselves in a mind state. Uh, we, we set ourselves on a course that's doomed to failure. Because we've already broken covenant. We've already come short of, uh, 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 of the glory of God. We've already sinned, and God is a just God. He's a loving God, but he's a just God, and the wages of sin is death. All right? So even though your sin might not be as bad as my sin in your mind, sin is still sin. It still falls short of, of, of fulfilling the law, and we're all under the same judgment. But for Christ. Amen? And so, and what did Paul say? You know, he says, all those things that were benefit to me, all good, all that stuff, it counted it as dumb. Compared to the excellency of knowing him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, he understood it has nothing to do with merit. It has everything to do with the gift of God that he bestowed upon us based on his great love for us. So uh, I would encourage you to reject any teaching that tells you otherwise because it's legalistic, it's bondage, it is not according to gospel truth. Does, does the Bible say, be ye holy for I am holy? Yes. All right. Or, uh, does the Bible tell us not to yield our members to, to sin and unrighteousness, but to yield our members to righteousness? Yes. And we, and, and we ought to do so in loving obedience to him. You know, that, that, that is something that we do. But we don't do it to earn love. The love was given to us even before we were saved. And it continues to be upon us now that we are saved, and it will be with us forever. The, love, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And uh, I think the biggest thing of it is we, we just don't understand the love of God. You know, um, for some reason, we think if God loves us, he wouldn't allow certain things. He wouldn't deny us or deprive us of certain things we're praying about. I didn't feel very loved by God having to go through what I just went through. Right? We consider the discipline of God to be harsh punishment. We mistake the discipline for God for the judgment of God. We just don't understand. How could a loving God have a place like hell? Man, y'all are I mean, these are thoughts that have come across my mind in my past. These are conversations that people are having. These are the thoughts that people are wrestling with. 
And if we're going to be fishers of men and women out there in the world who are lost, we're going to need to know what is going on in their hearts, what is going on in their minds, so that we can speak truth, truth in love to them in a way in a way that will make them see the salvation of the Lord as something that is real and true and something that they need. And so, I mean, and we're going to have to relate to people on that, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, our brother Bill gave a wonderful message a few weeks back where he talks about relevance or relatability. The one exception I would make on that is that God... It's not an either or. God would have us to be relevant and relatable. That's what Jesus was. It, it it disturbed the Pharisees and the religious leaders to no end. Why is it that he's eating and drinking with these people that aren't walking with God? Tax collectors, prostitutes, and so forth. Why is he fellowshipping with them? Why is he giving him the time, them the time of day? And you know what? Because, you know what? Because he was God come in the flesh. They were worth something to him. They were among those he was going to the cross for. And so while their fellow humans who were in religious leadership didn't see any value in them, that wasn't the heart of God. God still loved them. And they needed to know that they were worth something to God. And, and, and we're going to need to be able to relate to people in order to reach their hearts. We can punish people all we want to. You know, the law can punish people, but that the law can't redeem people. And we learned that from God's perfect law of liberty, right? The law couldn't redeem us because of the sin nature. But Jesus came, fulfilled the requirement of the law, and by doing so, he was able to redeem us to the utmost. Amen? You know, uh, how many times did Jesus come up to someone and say, do, do, do you want to be healed? The man at the pool of, of Bethesda who uh, seems like, uh, I don't know if he was a quadriplegic, but at least he didn't have use of his legs. And every time... Uh, an angel would come down to the water and every time the water stirred, the first one who got into it was healed of whatever condition they had. And it's, uh, it's doggy dog, every man for himself, y'all. So, you know, no one, you would think someone would be like, you know, this guy has been coming here for years. Every day people lay him on his mat and this guy tries to crawl down there when the water stirs and someone's always running in front of him. You know, I'm going to make sure he gets his today. But nobody did that. <laughs> nobody did that. And Jesus comes up one day, I don't know how many years he's been doing this, and he says, Do you, don't you want to? And, he's, and he starts defending himself or justifying, Lord, I, I've been trying. But every time the water stirs, someone beats me down there and only the first one in there gets the goods. And Jesus like, you don't need no water staring. Let me heal you right now. Amen? He cares. 
He didn't have to do that. The man dwelling in the tombs of the Gadarenes, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. You know, he had to tell the storm to shut up and be quiet, got to the other side, delivered that man who had the demoniac in him, and then went right back to the other side, which lets me know his express reason for going across there in the first place was to encounter and deliver this man, whose name we don't know. But Jesus cared. Society did what they could with him, institutionalize him, try to jail him, you know, chain him and so forth. But none of that could deal with the issue that he was really dealing with. Jesus saw him. He saw what he was going through and he knew what the problem was and he dealt with it. And the man was in his right mind and he had a testimony and became a witness of Jesus a witness for Jesus. Are you hearing that? You know, but that's, but those are acts. When we, when we read the gospels and we look at how Jesus interacted with people and, and, and the things that he said, the things that he did, how much he was moved with compassion. His love is obvious, is obvious throughout his ministry. The only people he was really short with were the religious people who weren't representing God well. Are you hearing me? So let's deal with that issue of uh, uh, discipline. I believe since Christians are supposed to be disciples of Christ, we ought to deal with the issue of discipline, what it is and what it isn't. And I believe biblical discipline is God's loving correction of his sons and daughters. Not, not, not punishment. But punishment is going to be inflicted upon you without care of whether or not you learn your lesson or not. You, there, there's judgment there. Discipline is purposeful. Discipline is for our good. Right? So, biblical discipline is God's loving correction of his sons and daughters in order to protect us from the consequences of continual disobedience. If we're walking down a wide and broad is a pathway to destruction. The path of righteousness is narrow, right? So, if, if we decide to walk on that broad path that leads to destruction, then God loves us too much to let us stay on that course because he knows the end thereof, right? And so, you know, we know anybody who's driven a highway, you know, there's always off-ramps. There, there's off-ramps off the road to destruction. But for some reason, we stay on the highway. God's discipline comes in and he deals with us in a way that makes us take one of those off-ramps off of the broad road to leads to destruction and gets us on the pathway to righteousness. Are you hearing that? But it's the purpose in it. I'm going to read it again. Biblical discipline is God's loving correction of his sons and daughters in order to protect us from the consequences of continued disobedience. God may punish the wicked, but he disciplines his children. God's discipline may not feel loving in the moment, but it is a product of his love. 
it is due to his genuine commitment to our good. His genuine commitment to our well-being. Everything he does is to that purpose. And I don't think we, I think we need to separate discipline from punishment, discipline from the wrath of God, <laughs> you know, because we, we don't vacillate between love of God and wrath of God, love of God and wrath of God. Uh, uh, John 3 verse 36 says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. You have eternal life. You don't, you don't lose that. You have eternal life. That is a constant. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If we don't receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the wrath of God remains on you. It's not one of those deals where, hey, if I'm walking in obedience to God today, God's love and, and grace and mercy is upon me. If I, if I make a mistake, now all of a sudden the wrath of God is on me. No, you may get corrected. There may be some discipline that you have to respond to. Um, it's like the uh, prodigal son. He went his own way, right? The father in that story, which represents God to us, and we are like the prodigal son, all right? He never stopped loving his son, right? His son went his own way. And that way eventually led to destruction. He was poor. He was... Uh, homeless. <laughs> he was feeding the pigs and looking at their food as something that's appetizing to him. That's how down and out he was before he came to himself. And he went back thinking himself unworthy to be considered a son anymore. I'm like this, man, my father has plenty. I'll go and just be a worker. I'll just be an employee. Surely he'll do that for me. But his father treated him like who he was and who he was always going to be, his son. And he received him, loved him. Apparently that son, that prodigal son, you, know, you can look at it and say, well, my goodness, couldn't his father have gone wherever town he went to, saw his son in that condition and, 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 and bought him a, a house to live in or something, giving him money to feed him and so forth. Boy, that was unloving. Man, he must have been under the wrath of his father. No, no, that son needed to go through what that son went through. And what he went through was not indicative of any lack of love by his father. His father was wise. And while he loved him, he knew that his son was dead set on the course that he had chosen. And that was going, his heart was so dead set on it, he was going to have to let that fully reach its conclusion. And, and his son's heart was going to have to be humbled and turned in order for him, you know, in order for him to repent <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and return to his father and appreciate the wisdom and love and guidance that his father was always desiring to give him. Some, some, some lessons in life, as much as we parents want to protect our kids from, some lessons they're just going to have to learn on their own. And it's going to break our hearts. We want to protect them from them. Uh, but 
uh, at the end of the day, it's their lives and they're going to have to uh, suffer the consequences of their decisions in order to learn some of the lessons you've been trying to teach them all their lives. That's what happened with me. I, I, I was in my mid-20s before I realized how wise my mother was in some areas of life. After I had taken it on the chin quite a bit, I realized, oh, <laughs> I guess that does still apply. It didn't just apply when she was my age. I guess that <laughs> there is nothing new under the sun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we need to know uh, God is, he is love. He isn't just love, but he is love. And if we need to reconcile why the prodigal son went through what he went through, he went through it because of his own choices. The father tried to talk him out of going that route, but he chose that route anyway. And the father could have probably done something to force compliance. But that, if you do that, then the person's heart isn't really into what they're doing. They're not growing. They're not becoming something new and mature in the Lord. They're just being forced into compliance. In their heart, they're still rebelling. When my kids were 10, there were some things I could make them do. Because I said so. Twelve years later, because I said so, ain't quite as effective anymore. Right? <laughs> I mean, I could try it. I could boot him out of the house. <laughs> no, but you can do that at some point. But at some point, they have to own. We have to own the truths of God. They have to become ours, right? Uh, it, we have to, it has to be in our hearts so that we are governed by the truth of God, right? And, to the, and until we get to that point, you can see where God's going to have to discipline us in his divine wisdom to reach our hearts, right? That's what he's always trying to do, reach our hearts, soften our hearts, so that what we're doing in obedience to God, comes from a heart of repentance, comes from a heart of love, a heart of gratitude. Are you hearing me? And that's why he's not going to always intervene in a way that will prevent us from suffering the consequences of our choices, our decisions, and our actions. Doesn't mean that we're under his wrath. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. It, 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 it just means, like I had to, uh, learn the hard way what my mom tried to teach me when I was a young man under her care. God will lovingly allow us to go through some things but we've got to really trust in what Romans 8.28 says All right, that it'll work together for our good. It doesn't mean that it was good or felt good. It's just that it'll work together for our good. I don't know about you, but I don't go around eating flour. If you like the taste of that, that's fine. It's just not me. It's not good. It's bitter to my taste buds. 
but it's one of the ingredients that makes a cake. You take that flour, mix it with some eggs and sugar and milk and some other things, and, and next thing you know, that product that comes out of it, you can, you can smell it before it hits your taste buds. So I don't like the flour in life by itself. But I want God to turn that. If I got to go through it, I'll take the flour. I, I, I'll taste it, all right? And I'll trust God that he's going to make a cake out of it at some point. Are you hearing that? Are you hearing that? All right. Um, so we may not like what God takes from us or what he allows us to go through, but he does all things in his divine wisdom for our good. And I just wanted to say as far as that contradiction earlier about, you know, well, why do we suffer certain things if God loves us and everything? Again, sin requires punishment. Are you hearing that? It requires punishment. That's why the ultimate agape was God sending his son Jesus for us. Right? In his agape love, he provided his son to suffer the punishment for our sin. And if we'll receive that gift, the wrath of God does not remain on us. Because hell, the lake of fire, was not designed for man. It was designed for the devil and his angels, right? And so the great deception is the devil, Satan, the anointed cherub that covereth, wants to cover us, our, our, our minds, uh, cover the truth from us. And make us believe lies. That will prevent us from uh, 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 embracing, understanding, and walking in his truth. But, but, but Satan is a defeated foe and God's truth will prevail. Amen? Uh, we better uh, move along here. Um, I have a couple more uh, verses that I want to share and uh, starting in Matthew 22, verses 35 uh, to 40. There is instruction in there for us to agape both God and our neighbors. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love, or agape, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, I, I would encourage you to star and highlight or underline, underline that. Because the issue of, the issue of love, God's love toward us, the agape, the unconditional love of God, we need to settle the issue of whether or not he loves us, all right? And we need to uh, uh, settle the definition in our minds of love, that, uh, that agape. Like, like God, he basically sacrificially loves us. He does everything for our benefit, for our good without regard for the return that he would get for it. He wants us to love in that same way. He wants us to love him without regard for what's in it for me. You know, it's not a, if you do this for me, God, then I will. 
And we want, and we ought to love him enough to believe what his word says, despite what our feelings and, and what our carnal mind might, might be tempted to believe. So you know what? I'm feeling this way here, but your word says this. And so I'm going to choose to embrace your word of truth. And I'm walking in faith according to your word. I'm not going to uh, listen to the sermon that my feelings are, 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 are preaching to me. All right. And so uh, he also said that about enemies. If you go to Matthew 5 verses 43 to 48, say this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, that makes sense. So we all have lived by that. You know, we love those who, who, who love us. We love our loved ones. Uh, we feel, we'll say, less affectionate towards our enemies. But I say to you, this is Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. It's not, what is it? So God is love. He's agape. So he's saying, I want you to be agape like your father is. That in so doing, you're showing yourself to be his children. Okay? And he goes on to say, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? What reward do you have for that? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in love. So they don't have to be close to you or related to you in order to matter to you. If you're on the road and, and someone violates the rules of the road and, 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 and you get cut off or, or you get, uh, we'll just say the proverbial bird flipped at you. All right. What are we going to do? Are we going to respond in kind? Is someone going to end up with some kind of social media pic of you flipping the bird to somebody? That picture is not going to have all the context. It's not going to matter that you say, well, that person flipped the bird at me first after cutting me off. So I feel justified in that. You know, that, that, that's not being perfect in love. And so that's not agape, right? And so it's not about us and what we can or cannot get out of it. It's about our God is love and no one can see God. People can't see the God that we proclaim, but they can see his likeness in us if we will allow it to flow and emanate from us. Amen. And so, and so we need, we, we, we can, we can live a, a, a sermon that's better than one preached. Conduct preaches better than words. And so for people to know the love of God, they're going to need to see the love of God expressed through his children. Amen? That, that will help some hearts, soften some hearts to receive the salvation that God is so desiring to give everyone. 
And I will uh, finish up with uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. You know, I feel like we needed to have some type of definition of what that kind of love ought to look like. <laughs> All right. And 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7 says, love is patient and kind. So if you need some kind of gauge in these various moments as to when you're in these potential conflicts and someone tempts you to walk in something other than love and, and uh, you need a gauge for what you're thinking. Hopefully you haven't already just dove all the way into sin in your response and that you're taking a moment to reflect uh, what would Jesus do or what would Jesus have me do in this, right? As you're Thinking through it, hopefully you're reminded of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. First of all, love is patient and kind. Not or. It's patient and kind. All of these are not either ors. It's all and, all a part of one definition. Patient and kind. I'm up at and in her. And love does not envy or boast. And it is not arrogant or rude. Yeah, but, but they were rude first. It's, love is not arrogant or rude. We got to decide, are we going to love or are we going to get our pound of flesh? And it does not insist on its own way. And it is not irritable or resentful. And it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I'm still a work in progress on this. I'm just going to be honest. And and I, I'm willing to give the mic right now to anyone who's willing to stand and, 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 and give testimony that you're walking in perfection in this. Any takers? All right. So we're, we're, none of us are there. We're, we're all striving. We're all working on that. Amen. And, and 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 God, who has begun a good work in us, He is faithful to complete it. All right, but 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 let's be striving. Let's be pursuing, growing in the love of God. Just because we're not there yet doesn't mean we need to concede and acquiesce to where we're at. Let's always aspire to be more Christ-like. Uh, today we're focusing on the love of God. Uh, let's be intentional about learning more and growing more in our understanding of the agape love of God uh, with the intent of our being able to walk in that agape love and, and express that love to God and to others. Um, I said the last scripture, but I'm just going to read this one, Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to have you stand. Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love 
As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let's be imitators of God, imitators of Christ as beloved children. Let's walk in this agape love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Let's give ourselves up for God. Let's give ourselves up for others. Uh, Please stand. Hallelujah. Father God, we just thank you for challenging us in this way. Father, it is your heart's desire that everyone come to an experiential knowledge of your love. To such a degree that they receive the glorious gift of your salvation. And Father, I come against the the enemy. I come against Satan and all his efforts, Father God, to blind people to the truth. Father, you have your church in this world, in this earth, Father God, to be a reflection of you. We are to allow the light of the truth to emanate from us in the middle of the darkness that we're having to confront every day. And there are those who are walking blind, that are walking in darkness. But Father God, they will come to see as they encounter the light that is alive and emanating in and through us. And Father, I just pray that that light of your life, that light of your love, Father God, just burns brightly in us, that we will be that city that is set on a hill, that those who don't know up from down, those that don't know right from wrong, those, Father God, that are subject to the lies of the enemy can see the life of God emanating in us and that they will, that they'll want what we have. They don't even, they may not know why, but you will be drawing them to us, giving us an opportunity to love on them and to tell them of the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father God, I pray that you would give us the grace and wisdom to be both relatable and relevant in a way that would bring people to you. And Father, I know that that prayer is according to your will. That prayer is according to to your desire and according to your word. So I know that you hear it, Father God. And and, and I know that we already have the the answer to that prayer, (laughs) Father God. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Bless your people, Lord. Uh, bless your people to, to grow in understanding and grow in the knowledge of and to grow in walking in the agape love of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.